curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. On today's episode, I welcome back my good friend, Paul Bellantone, President and CEO of Promotional Products Association International, the nonprofit organization chartered with the protection and stewardship of this crazy mixed-up supply chain of an industry. Paul is celebrating what is now commonly known, unbeknownst to me, Paul, in your 20 years Yeah, anniversary is a platinum anniversary, so congratulations on hitting platinum. And 2018 has been a roller coaster ride of a year for our industry. I mean, not one person I know has told me their company's having an off year, which I suspect will mean that our industry sales numbers will grow again over 2017, maybe even more than we originally expected as consumers of promotional products were faced with some purchasing decisions based on our regulatory environment with respect to imports from other countries most specifically China, right, Paul? So, hey, welcome welcome in, man. I'm, I'm glad to get you back on. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time of year to do this, too. It'll give us the opportunity to talk a little bit about the year that just passed us by and, and what we're seeing going into 2019. Thank you um, for the recognition. It was 20 years in 1998 that I joined PPAI as the director of expositions running the expo. And um Early on in my career at PPAI, when I didn't know whether or not I was, you know, destined for association management and what it was I wanted to do, he said, you know, go home over the weekend, think about it, what it is that you want to do, come in on Monday and start doing it and keep doing it until somebody tells you to stop. And it's been 20 years and no one has told me to stop. So as long as I could, <laughs> as long as I could keep, um, keep that going, I think I'd, I'd Let's do 20 more, okay? Well, there you go, right? A while, but. Uh, in, in the quintessential sort of like, well, if I could get away with that, what else might I be able to get away with? Right? Tell anybody that, that that's been my secret to success. I do what I want until somebody tells me to stop. So ultimately, we must be doing the right things. So that's, that's great. There it is. 
That's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, uh, as I mentioned to you originally, I had anticipated maybe just asking you the same questions that I was going to ask you last year. But as I started thinking about our conversation, so much has changed in the last 12 months that it didn't seem like I would be doing both of us a disservice, I think, if I didn't touch on some of the ways that I think our industry has has seen some pivots and some evolution over the course of the last 12 months. So you don't have any idea what I'm going to ask you. So I don't know if that makes you excited or uncomfortable or both. I'm going to answer ready? the same thing anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> I have there you go. answers that I'm going to throw at you. <laughs> Hit me. There you go, go for it. All right. So tariffs, uh, clearly tariffs, right? So we see what's going on. We see the landscape and how it, that has continued to shape and change and, you know, even, uh, Depart, lead, leaders of the free world meeting with each other, uh, you know, to, to, to decide what we want to have happen going forward. That's constantly shifting. Um, and, you know, even within our own industry, there's a lot of uncertainty over how we should react in ways like, you know, what do we do with catalogs and, you know, all of the obvious conversations. And we see what's going on with that uncertainty going on. But within the, I guess what I wanted to talk about more specifically, Paul, is like for me, I believe that what happened this year when it comes to this whole tariff situation, really represented one of the biggest stress tests that we've had around our legislative and advocacy efforts within the industry. Would you agree with that? I would say that it's presented a set of unique challenges. And, you know, I have have a couple of thoughts on this tariff thing, Roger. Some of it, you know, what I've been hearing people saying, and then what I'm kind of noticing on my own as a consumer, we're the tariffs are really just the latest step. I mean, we dealt with this a year and a half ago with the border adjustment tax. I don't know if you recall that. And yep. so it wasn't foreign to us, the fact that, hey, this this may be a direction that we're moving in. I think we are not as affected so much as an industry and you know how consumers perceive us. If we went to our consumers, our customers, and said, there's going to be, a, you know, because of the tariff, we have to raise prices and it's going to go up X percent. I think most consumers of promotional products would understand that because the whole tariff situation has been so public, right? It, it's not just us. It's cars. It's merchandise. It's everything that they're buying from anywhere. With, with yeah. things like costs associated with product safety or costs associated with something that's specific to our industry, I think that's where consumers are like, well, why am I paying more money for these promotional products and not for anything else? Sure. Uh, so so sure. I think there's, I don't want to say it's a silver lining that it's so well publicized, but it certainly has taken some of the heat off of our industry. The bigger challenge yeah. from my perspective has been how is our industry dealing with it? How are, And you're right, you know, how are you dealing with catalogs? How are you dealing with prices? What percent increase are you going to have? Are you putting the tariff on products that um, may already be in your warehouse or that on that are on the boats on the way here or, or what's happening with custom orders. And, I, and I'd have to say that I'm not seeing a level of consistency there. There are some companies right. that are push or who are, you know, going penny for penny on the tariff and pushing that forward. Some have some room to absorb. Some don't. I see companies that are U.S. made using this to to talk about that part of their line a little bit more. Yeah. I think the companies that sure. are getting affected most on the supplier side are those that are single or only a few products 
that they sell, um, and all of them are being affected by tariffs. They're they're getting hit a little bit harder than those who have um, very broad lines. Some that are affected by tariffs, and some that aren't. So it's it's been uneven one to the next. Yeah, and I, I have much to do with just general industry uncertainty around the severity and length of what we're going to have to deal with and trying to accommodate from a, you know, how does that impact your cost structure across the board? But I guess what, secondarily, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, the, or, the PPAI itself has organized its, its efforts around having relationships with our legislators, both at, you know, the local level, the state level, and then of course at the national level. How do you feel like we performed in the face of uh, this in this landscape, as far as that, the way we've constructed those relationships. Okay, so I- interesting question. Our work, as it relates to tariffs, is less legislative and more through working with coalitions. Obviously, it's not a congressional act. These tariffs, it's commerce and the president. So, in in cases like that, we find it more successful for the association to join coalition of lo- like-minded organizations. So even though we're a $25 billion industry, we are a drop in the bucket compared to the total impact of these tariffs. So um, so we have – we've joined tariff uh, coalitions that have to do with farming and agriculture, ones that have to do with with, um, retail, with manufacturing. And we just find that by adding our voice to a group of like-minded voices, we have more impact. The, the challenge, I think, even more than the tariffs themselves for our industry, Roger, is that is the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. You know, so we have this 90 day waiver as of earlier this week. We have this 90 days of truce, I guess, between the U.S. and China. But then you start reading about, well, what does this truce include and what's going to happen when it kicks back up? And right. So, you know, all you have to do is look at the stock market today and, and see what that does that uncertainty does, you know, we wake, we wake up in the morning, we, we read a tweet or two, um, and then we decide <laughs> you know, right. the stock market, you kind of, how are we feeling about the world today? Right. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> there and go, let's let's go take on the deck. No uh, doubt. It's the no uncertainty All right. that, that's more difficult. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So part two, uh, all the venture capital is coming in. This is a crazy nuts. The pace of this is just dizzying. The M and A activity this year—it's, I mean, it's one that we've had consolidation, Paul. I mean, that's 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 not new, and I've heard you say over and over and over again about how the uh, participation numbers, as far as how many people are in our industry, has remained relatively um, uh, static, even in the face of all of this. But so, I mean, we're starting to get into like professional sports level contract eyebrow raising money like sunrise identity and chamberlain marketing and then you know this uh elysian capital facilities group announcement it it's it, it's just the it's staggering in in its pace in its size and so i don't think we need to have a, a pro and con discussion here i mean there's a lot of that discussion already going on i'm more interested what's the money going to mean what's going to be the first big noticeable change that we're going to realize as an industry, as a result of the influx of money that you're seeing? Boy, I, I, I wish I knew this answer with certainty. I don't, yeah. I know, I know what I, 
I think is going to happen or what, what I see happening. Um, so I think first, I think money come, private equity money coming into our industry is actually a positive thing and bodes well. For, it means that the industry has done well. It means that we're in an industry that's highly fragmented and there's still margins and, and there's opportunity for growth. Um, I, you know, the, I don't believe I actually had, I'm working on a presentation next week where I'm, I'm doing kind of a 20 year retrospective of what's gone on in our industry. And, um, so let, let me reframe that a little bit. I'm, I'm looking at statistics that we had from 20 years ago and statistics that we had now about, you know, the types of products that are in the industry and how they're being used and what consumers feel about it. And very, very little has changed in that in that sense. Promotional products work, and everybody mm-hmm. knows promotional products work. As a matter of fact, the the statistics in terms of our growth, the value of promotional products, and how people feel about them has never been higher. So yeah, agreed. So I, I think that that's recognized on the out, outside of our industry. I think what's changing in our industry is the channel that the products are going to market. So uh, I'll give you an example. If we were a $12 billion industry 20 years ago, maybe 10%, maybe there was 10% of the business that was going outside the business. So that would put the total industry yeah. at like $13 billion and we're $12 billion of it, and everybody's right. kind of fat and happy, right? Because when you think yeah. about it, the, there was no transparency then. We were one of these industries that had like coded pricing and catalogs. and all yeah, the secret. Right, you had to be a secret <laughs> thing. Well, now that there's that transparency, there's estimates that there's actually twice as much product being sold outside our channel as inside our channel. Yeah, and that's you know, it, it, it bodes well for the product, but I, it does lead to some uncertainty in the channel itself. You know, the supplier distributor. So, what I think that private equity is going to do is, um, I think it's going to help us shore up our channel. Because I think that, you know, uh-huh. some of the things that we're lacking is in the technology and the infrastructure. And I right. think I think that those dollars are going to allow us to become a more technologically savvy and compliant industry that can compete not with Amazon, but compete in an Amazon type world. So Well, and th- think about it, Paul. I mean, from if you just look at this from none other than a we are skews. We are skews. And Amazon is SKUs, and Amazon's using technology to advance the sale of their SKUs better than our industry is doing. And if we can catch up and make technology investments to do exactly what you're talking about, I think exactly what you're saying. Like it really takes the shackles off our ability to grow the industry. Yeah. And it, and to me, even more specifically, and it'd be it'll be fun to come back a year from now, yeah. Paul, and see how cl- how close we came to this. I think literally. If you want to get even more granular, I think it's going to be database management. You're going to see people throw all kinds of money at getting the data right now. And once the data is better across the board in our industry, that's when our technology will really start succeeding. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done on both sides of the aisle in order to make that be a reality. Because, you know, it's kind of like our secret behind the scenes. Nobody wants to talk about how bad some of the database information is out there. So... Uh, our ability to fix that, I think, in a lot of ways will be a, a key, key driver in the growth of the business. Yeah. We, we have not had the dominant player in our industry that a lot of other industries have had that have experienced change. You know, we, don't, we didn't have the Walmart that can 
dictate how suppliers need to act or distributors need to act right. or how they communicate. But I think as we get some larger companies and that private equity money comes in and, and allows us to, to put some scale behind some of these efforts, I, I believe that it'll be a benefit for our industry. I don't know that we'll look totally exactly agree. the same on the other end. All of right. It. So I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about the get in touch campaign that you got at PPAI is in the middle of. So um, I'll say by saying when I, when I talk about get in touch campaign, what it seems to me like what I see is maybe a move on the part of the association from what historically has been a more inward looking focus. And now I, we find you representing the industry in places like Adweek, right? And you wrote that apparently what's considered a smart-ish piece for Forbes <laughs> about B2B marketing strategies, right? So to me, what this it, I interpret this to be a more vocal and obvious attempt to create a bigger seat for promotional products at the advertising spend table. So Talk about that campaign, kind of the motivation behind it, your perception of the effort so far, and like where do you, where do you see this thing going? Boy, that, pretty perceptive, Raj. I have to tell you that I don't know that people made that connection between what was just um, run in the Forbes um, article this week on B two B marketing for 2019, and and what we're doing as an association. So we have two roles. You you mentioned it at the the onset of this podcast, it's to grow and protect the industry. And this falls squarely under the grow part of it, that we want a bigger piece of every advertising dollar that's spent. And we believe that we have justification for asking that. We, we have research that supports it. We have both anecdotal and, and quantitative um, research that supports the spend on promotional products compared to the other 13 to 14 media what Get in Touch has done is really made, given us, made us do it in a more thoughtful way. We've always had different efforts to do these things, but through the Get in Touch campaign, it really formalized it. And not only has it formalized it in ways that were being very proactive, but I think you know it was just about a month ago where it may have been, um, I just went blank on the magazine, that had a negative Oh yeah, fast, fast fast company. company. Yeah, right. Fast company had one. We were prepared uh, on the spot to say, "Well, wait a minute. Here's here's a different way of looking at this, and not not to be contrary to what they were saying, but to give to offer a different opinion based on facts and not just the writer's opinion." So you are correct. I think that we will continue to concentrate on outreach. I know we had incredible outreach at Advertising Week and with Ad Age this year, telling the story about promotional products. And it's such a simple story to tell. I advertise to you, you say thank you. Right. <laughs> Draw that straight line. And I think that a lot of other media... Um, they don't have that ability to draw the straight line between if you spend on this media, you will get these results. You will get somebody to say thank you and appreciate you more, which is what we're, we're all looking for. But it was a good correlation that you made there, Raj. I'm glad that you noticed it in the way that you did because it is perfect. Well, and, you know, the, and I'm, I'm going to talk about strategy next, but when you, when you look at 
no matter what business you're in, and you know, you and I have talked about this before about you know you being a business with a cool tax designation. You know, you're 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 taking your ideas and you're shipping things, and I, I don't care if you're a non-for-profit or a for-profit. Really, what it's about is how do you take ideas about what we should do and turn them into deliverables, and this get in touch campaign and then strategic foresight, which is what I want to talk about next. I mean, these are actionable things that the organization has actually been able to create and, and put out into the world. So I, I had the good fortune of hearing both you and Ann Stone make that presentation of the strategic foresight playbook that you developed at the Michigan leadership conference this year. And I really wanted to thank you again for um, taking time out of your schedule to come and talk to us about that. It was it, it really was a noteworthy day for me when it comes to being a practitioner in our industry. And I was really proud of, of what you presented to us that day. And so I, I wanted to make sure that we had took a moment to talk about this because when, when you talk about the notion of what does my association provide in member benefit and value, I, I don't know that you've ever come up with something as good as this. So I want to make sure that you, you touch on it. Who's it for? How might it best be used by the people who might be listening to this? So strategic foresight is this concept that um, because we live in this VUCA world, and I know you've heard me use that term where it's velocity, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity all being thrown at us at, at one time, that we, it really becomes incumbent on us to get our house in order, become stable, and then start looking forward three years out, five years out. Um, I, I've contended, and I've said this to you, 20 years ago, we, we were not focused on things like Amazon and, and what was coming down the pike. And now we're playing catch up in some of those areas. So as an association, because we are financially stable and growing, it's allowed us to not worry about just generating new dollars and new members to really spend time looking into the future and saying, okay, what are the types of things that we should be making our members aware of that, that they should start focusing on? And they can either take action on it or not take action on it, but at least they're not going to be surprised by it when it happens. Right. And, um, and then from that, it actually rolled down into, hey, let's create a book on doing this that we can give to our members so that they can do it in their own businesses. What's happening, you know, at, at Roger Incorporated that you should be thinking about over the next three and five years so that you remain viable and relevant to your customers. So we did that. We created a presentation. We created a book. We're going to be doing some sessions at the expo. We actually created an icon uh, for strategic foresight that you will see on all of the education sessions and all of the articles that we run in the magazine, that means that this is a future-focused um, topic, that what we're, what we're going to be talking about here, what you're reading about here, is about something that's going to happen in the future. It's not that we didn't do that before. We're just doing it in a way that's a little bit more purposeful and thoughtful and intentional so that our members recognize the value in doing this. So I, I'm a fan of strategic foresight. I, I love having conversations with people like you about things like this because it, it, I think we have the opportunity to bring value to our members by doing that. 
Well, and gosh, I mean, Paul, nothing for nothing. It's not very often that you can find yourself in a position with a trusted advisor. And, and if, we're, if we have a healthy relationship between members and the association, one would expect that the member sees you as the trusted advisor. And so by virtue of having that relationship with me, you give me the opportunity to believe in what you'll present me in a way that might be slightly different than where I might consume other things. So by taking advantage of that relationship that you built with me to give me something literally that I can sit down with and score my business based on just answering questions about where I am with different things as it pertains to the health of my business and give me an opportunity then not only to score it, but then to understand what does it mean when I total up my score in comparison to the other scores that I might have? Yeah, Raj, I think what you're, um, you're referring to is the scorecard that we ask companies to complete before they either dig into the book or um, take the session. And that scorecard tells you how you should be approaching the book. If, you know, the, the, your, your competitive analysis and your financial stability and your, your um, awareness of your own business and your own value statements, those those things are identified in the scorecard, and based on where you score on those things is how you would approach it. Clearly, a billion-dollar business you know, with, with great competitive intelligence and departments handling different things is going to approach strategic foresight differently than the more traditional distributor who maybe has an employee a couple of hundred thousand dollars and is looking for a place in a very complex marketplace. The scorecard allows you to do that, and it, it guides you towards the types of things you should be focusing on. And as your business grows, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have as entrepreneurs is oftentimes we don't have the correct skill set for ourselves as our business grows from, say, to a million dollars, then from one to five million, from five to 10. I mean, it takes very different skill sets to be able to continue to see your business grow that way. And, and you've structured it so that even as you're growing, you can continue to evaluate where you are in the growth of your business. It's bravo, Paul. Well done. I can't wait. You know, it's one of those things like I really want to see what we can unearth from uh, best practices of people using it um, once it's gotten out there and people really start to understand uh, how to how to employ it in their day to day business. I think it'll be interesting to see. And another one I think we'll talk about again uh, in our discussion next year. All right. So yep. so Ann and I will actually be giving that session at Expo on Monday morning. We're going to be doing it from the big stage. We're going to be recording recording it. So I invite people to come to that. It'll be the first large um, production of it that we're, we're going to be doing. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what kind of feedback you get from the big room when it comes to, because you, you really, you'll have the big tent. So you'll have everybody of all different sizes that will be able to give you their perspective on, on what's gone on there. So, yeah, I look forward to it. All right. So last question, same one as last year. It's you won the lottery. You don't have to work anymore. You're getting ready to go tour wherever it is that you're going to go do now that you don't have to worry about money and you want to offer people your unique perspective. Now I'd say this time though, Paul, instead of what should, what should they do? It's what should they be thinking about as we go into the new year? So, boy, I, I love this question. I think last year I talked about people need to stop whining on social yes. media and get out and be productive and get things That's done. Correct. Be kind. That's um, and and I'm actually stealing that from a someone that we both admire, Seth Godin. I, I did a podcast with him at Advertising Week, 
And somebody said, what's going to be the new trend in marketing? That's what he was asked. And he said, hopefully, kindness. And as we get into this holiday season and as we, um, you know, as we read all of the political nonsense that's going on and the polarization of parties and policy, let's just be kind to each other. Let's take that extra second or two to, to make eye contact and shake a hand and, and wish somebody well and, and help them along their way. There's so many great memes out there that talk about, you know, we, we never know what the struggle is that somebody else may have that they're dealing with on a given day. And I think just a little bit of kindness goes an extra long way, especially around this time of year. So that, that would be my, uh, it's a kinder offering this year than it was last year, Roger, for certain. <laughs> the less cranky Paul. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the holidays. Let's be nice to each other. We could do that. Well, and I'm sure you know, as do many of the listeners, just how closely what you said resonates with me. So uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Kindness is really important, especially in you, you hit it right on the head. I'm not even going to try to embellish upon it because it was well said. And I so enjoy having you on. And, you know, it's getting fun because now we're going to get to the point where we'll, we'll, we will have a body of work we can look back on and decide either if we are sage in any of our uh advice or if we're just completely off base and we'll be able to find out pretty soon so either way it's enjoyable (laughs) either way paul so merry christmas to you sir happy holidays and i look forward to seeing you in las vegas come january thanks a lot roger i appreciate it bye-bye take care